Tonight we're going to begin a new series of messages, and um, we're going to be looking in Revelation 19 in a passage of Scripture, and uh, the name of this series will be, His Name is Faithful. Let's stand together, please, at this time, Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he doth judge and make war. May God bless the reading of his word tonight. It's my prayer. You may be seated. Our new series will highlight the significance to all of us, uh, the faithfulness of God. Now, if we're going to talk about the faithfulness of God, we could literally go from Genesis to Revelation. If we want to talk about God as the creator, then our God is a faithful creator. If we want to talk about God as our Savior and Redeemer, then God is a faithful, our faithful Savior and Redeemer. In whatever capacity we wanted to speak of God or think of God tonight, then God's faithfulness shines through in it all. Our God is faithful. And in Scripture, a name is more than just identification. In Scripture, a name speaks of a person's character. So when we're told that Jesus, and he is no doubt the rider on this white horse that is coming out of heaven and coming down to the earth to make war in righteous, make righteous war, and that in and of itself should be something that grabs our attention. Uh, War is so awful, so hideous, so terrible that it may be difficult for us to consider that there is such a thing as righteous war. And we know that to be true because Jesus Christ himself is coming to wage one. He will, in righteousness then, both judge and make war. His name then is called faithful and true because those two go together. There could be no uh, faithfulness without the truth. You have to be faithful to something. And so when Jesus Christ is spoken of in his character, then he is faithful. And he is faithful and true. Both of these are bound up in who Jesus Christ is. And so our character, the character of a person biblically was put on display by these names that are used. Now in our culture, of course, it's often just the opposite. Not always. You run across somebody named Rocket, for example, they might be pretty fast. But if you run across somebody named Tiny, you want to be careful when you shake hands with him because he's probably somebody you're going to look up to like this. Uh, and so uh, sometimes we give people name that is associated with their character. Sometimes we don't. Uh, what does Richard mean? Uh, well, Google told me this week that Richard means brave ruler, brave ruler. So I've got that going for me, which is nice. <laughs> Brave ruler, yeah. Oh. Uh, our text tonight, though, well, though we could have gone to any passage in the Bible, our text is chosen tonight to begin this and really serve as a basis for what we're going to be looking at Sunday night for the next few weeks because it comes at such a pivotal juncture for humanity. And this declaration then is made of the character of Jesus Christ, not just what is said and what is revealed, 
But the moment, the moment at which it comes. Revelation chapter 19 is set in the midst of the time the Bible calls the Great Tribulation. And oftentimes in the original language it's spelled out the tribulation, the great. So there's two these that are given to it. Very emphatic. The, the great tribulation. Seven year time of humanity. When they will begin to experience and the world will begin to experience the judgment and wrath of God. It will see to it the rise though of sin. The rise of the one the Bible calls the man of sin. The antichrist. Uh, the beast he's referred to in Revelation 19, and the false prophet, because uh, don't think that uh, Jesus Christ was the only one who's ever worked miracles. The false prophet is going to be working miracles to deceive the multitudes of humanity during this time. The beast and the false prophet are mentioned here in these passages, and they have had a time upon the world. Uh, We can't say tonight that sin doesn't have a time. It does. These would come with all lying and with all deceit. But then suddenly the skies open. And a rider on a white horse will descend. And that's what Revelation chapter 19 is called. And so while the world is being dominated by the effects of that one called the man of sin and the false prophet with all lying and deceit and deceivableness and all kinds of lying miracles, then comes the one whose very name is faithful and true. And if you look carefully, if you read all of Revelation 19, you'll see that Jesus' name is referenced several times. In addition to faithful and true, we find Revelation 19, verse 12. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, that's crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. Revelation 19, 13. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Revelation 19, 16, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. Amen. King of kings and Lord of lords. Oh, yeah. See, the addition then to these names, he's called faithful and true. He is the word of God. He is the king of kings and Lord of lords. Then there's a name that nobody can know. You put those two things together, the fact that in the Bible, a person's name was tied to his character and his nature. Uh, and then we have this name of Jesus. And it's, it's written in such a way so that nobody can know it except that Jesus himself. And all that tells us is, is that we don't know everything about Jesus yet. Our God, our Savior Jesus Christ is an infinite source of knowledge. And we can spend all of our life and all of our lifetimes and probably a hundred more lifetimes if God would give them to us learning about Jesus Christ and we would never exhaust the subject. There is more to him than we know. He has more to his character than we're able to comprehend or understand. He has a name then written but that nobody knows but he himself. His character revealed in again and again and again in Revelation chapter 19. There's no doubt. (laughs) Uh, Sin might have had its day. Satan might have had his day. Uh, The man of sin may have had his day. Uh, But there's no doubt. uh, The one who's coming on the scene on this day. 
And who is going to capture the attention of everyone? Who is center stage on this day? It is the Word. It is faithful and true. It is that one who has a name that is above every name. The King of kings and Lord of lords. The Bible powerfully proclaims the victory of Jesus Christ over sin and Satan through the cross. It looks back on that as a, power, as a past event. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14 says that he wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, and having disarmed principalities and power, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Now, remember this morning when we talked about the principalities and powers, I told you that there were two sides of that. There was the good side, uh, the godly side, the, the angelic side of things. But there was also the satanic and demonic side of it. There's, uh, there's a, a spiritual realm out of there that is composed both of the good and the evil. And in this case, of course, it is that evil side of things that Paul was talking about. Having disarmed then the principalities and powers, what was their Primary weapon. We know what it means to disarm somebody. To take their weapon away. What was it? Death. Death was their weapon. Death was the primary weapon of those principalities and powers. And all of their life then, we were kept in bondage to the fear of death. But when Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again, then he disarmed the principalities and powers because the sting of death was shown to be <laughs> forever uh, not going to win the victory. I don't know exactly how to say that even. But uh, it had been disarmed. Because Jesus had demonstrated then through his death, burial, and resurrection the totality of his victory. Although that victory, though, was established. Unfortunately, that victory, we all know it all too well, has not been completely enforced. Number one, people still live and die. They live and die. Now, when we see somebody die as believers in Christ, we know something. If that person's a believer, I'm a believer. You're a believer. We see that person has died. Yeah. But we know that if they've been a believer, they have gone to be with the Lord. Amen. We know it. How do we know it? The Bible tells us so. We know it. Death is not the end. Death doesn't stop. That to be absent from the body, the Bible says, is to be present with the Lord. And because of that, Jesus would then say at the very tomb of his friend Lazarus, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that liveth and believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And even Martha and Mary, they understood this. Well, Lord, we know he'll live again at the resurrection. And of course, Jesus had other plans, but he was talking about that too. Death does not get the victory over those who believe in Jesus Christ. So Jesus' reign has been established by his death, burial, and resurrection. But it's not been completely enforced. People still die. People still sin. People still live in rejection. People still reject the, the, the truth of Jesus Christ and who he is. They live their lives in unbelief. 
So while Jesus' reign has been established, his victory has been established, it has not been altogether enforced. However, God has set a date. God has set a date for when that victory will be enforced. Paul spoke of that on Mars Hill in Athens before a very unbelieving crowd. And he said in Acts 17 and 30, In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Oh, that's a great passage. I love it. God has commanded all men everywhere to repent. And that is to turn from their sins and by faith to turn to Him. That is the world's greatest need. All men everywhere need to repent. Why? Because, right there in the passage, <laughs> because He has appointed a day. God has set a date. It will not be postponed. It will not come early. God has set a date. He has appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness. There's that exact statement that we find in Revelation 19. He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. That's Revelation 19 again. We know who it is. Whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. We might well question the necessity of repentance. We might well question my assertion tonight that repentance is the world's greatest need. If it were not for the fact that God has set a date. He has appointed a date in which he will judge the world in righteousness. The old hymn writer said it best. There's a great day coming. Are you ready for that day to come? And I'll tell you, if you hadn't believed on Jesus Christ, I'll tell you tonight, you're not ready. You're not ready. You're not ready. Maybe you might sit there and say, well, you know, if I'm out somewhere and I happen to look up in the sky and I see a great horse coming, well, I'll believe on him then. It'll be too late. No, you won't. You can see that play out right there in Revelation chapter 19. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's assurance of salvation to all those who repent, who turn to Him in faith from their sins. But it is also God's assurance that there is a great day coming when His victory over sin will be revealed in His judgment. When we're considering then the whole subject of the faithfulness of God, our attention is drawn to His promises, His messages to us, His assurance of His victory. And how that victory will ultimately play out in this world. So that the promise of this great day will become the reality. What he promises, you see in Acts 17.31, is prophetically presented in Revelation 19. Meanwhile, here in Cabot, America, we find ourselves... Living in the midst, as Paul described it in Philippians 2. And I know I've mentioned this passage a lot. It comes up a lot because it's a pivotal passage. It's a, one that I love. It's one that I need to hear a lot. 
In, in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 14, do all things without murmurings and disputings that you may be blameless and harmless as sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. I remind you this evening that this context speaks not of uh, uh, anything going on within the people of God. He is describing then our conduct with those that are without, out in the world. And that we are living, he says, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Very interesting words that he uses there. Uh, the word crooked, uh, for example, that's the, the word uh, scolios in Greek. It's the word that our word scoliosis is derived from. And that refers, of course, to uh, crookedness in the, in the spine. Uh, but literally, it just means crooked. The word perverse is from diostropho, which means to deliberately distort or pervert something so as to turn someone aside to something that is distorted. Uh, we think, for example, about looking at a straight stick when it is stuck in water. And all of a sudden, it looks bent. Well, it's not bent, it's straight. But if we just looked at it and didn't know about that principle of water that uh, causes things to look crooked, even though they're straight, we'd look at that and say, man, that pencil's crooked. No, it's not. We live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. People who are themselves crooked, and they want everybody else to be crooked too. That's the world that we're living in. And it is then within that context, as we live in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, that he says that we are to do all things without complaining and arguing. Oh, I'll tell you, that's a hard thing for, for, for this old preacher to put into effect because I've told you before, I, I, I do enjoy a good argument. I, I do. I and, and, and maybe some of you do the same thing. It's hard not to be drawn into just complaining all the time about how bad things are and how bad people are and how awful people are and murmuring all the time about it and then uh, uh, arguing with them every chance we get, just getting in and arguing and arguing. I, I argue with people on the TV sometimes. Ask my wife. She'll tell you. They can't hear me. That's, I can't help it. I guess I can help it. I, I tried to stop. I, I have tried to stop. Do all things without murmuring and disputing. That, that's hard to do when you live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. They're not, they're, not just, they're not just crooked and perverse, but they are trying to make everybody else uh, go along with their crookedness. They want us to be crooked and to say that that which is crooked is really not crooked. That, that's what that whole passage is about. That's what we live in the midst of. So we have that truth that Jesus Christ's victory has been established and he established it through the cross and he disarmed the principalities and power. And we have Revelation 19 then when that reign and rule of righteousness of Jesus Christ is going to be enforced because God has appointed a day and that day will come. Now we live though in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Oh, I'm, I'm so thankful tonight 
to be able to remind you of the fact that there is that great day coming. If we could take the time tonight, we could look at what the Bible says about this time of sin and the man of sin, about the plagues that God promises of judgment, about the wars, the natural disasters, the pandemics, and the droughts, and the famines, the economic chaos and destruction, the meltdown of a world economic system so that no one could buy and sell unless the beast tells you you can. Oh, it's a scary thing to think about that time when it all comes together. Time when the sin rules and the man of sin rules and the beast and the false prophet is making it all come to pass. Yeah. Brother Rich, do you believe all those things? I sure do. Because the Bible tells us that it will happen. But then we'll also see, if you read in Revelation 19, you'll see that the heavens will open. And the one will come out of heaven on that white horse leading an innumerable host to be met on the field of battle by an equally innumerable host led by this beast, the man of sin, and the false prophet. And the Bible says that the one who is faithful and true has a sword coming out of his mouth. And you know what that is. That's the word of the Lord. Uh, Jesus is not going to need any atomic bombs to fight this weapon. Not a bit. What's he going to do? He's, he's going to speak it. Uh, the same voice that said, light be, and light became. The same voice that spoke in all the worlds, all the universe came into existence. That same voice will speak. And this battle will be immediately won. The beast and the false prophet, the Bible says, will be cast alive into the lake of fire. Now, we know about those two men who went to heaven without dying. You know, Enoch and Elijah, well, here's some people who are going to go to hell without dying. They'll cast alive, the Bible says, into the lake of fire. Wow. And their entire army, that's all the people that they would gather against Jesus, their army will be killed by the word of God. That's the time of the enforcement but in the meanwhile, here we are, living in the midst of all this. It's happening. Every now and then, if we're not careful, we might buy into the idea that things are worse today than they've ever been. That's not the truth. The only thing that we can say that is absolutely true about the state of humanity is that there are a whole lot more people on this planet than there's ever been before. We know that. And just because of the billions and billions and billions of people who populate this planet, then the potential of evil has increased astronomically. The overwhelming majority of those people do not know Jesus Christ. And so that potential and the practice of evil is everywhere. We can certainly say that. But we can't really say that things are worse than they've ever been. Remember, uh, Paul was writing to the church at Philippi a long, long time ago. When a guy named Caesar was on the throne and Rome ruled the world. And, G and he said it then, you're living in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. The only thing we can say is that that crooked and perverse generation has gotten a lot bigger. And they have a lot more technological advancements. 
to spread their message and their influence and their lives in a way that we never dreamed possible uh, just over the course of my lifetime. We've seen it come to pass. So as believers, as followers of the faithful and true, as we anticipate the Lord's return, what do we do in the meantime? And here in the book of Philippians, I think as we live in the midst, we see a great response. You see, it is possible for us to just come to the conclusion that God is faithful. God's going to do what God is going to do. And so I can just go on about the business of my life and trust God. I don't have anything to do. Um, God is in control. God has promised. God's going to keep them. And therefore, what I do really doesn't matter. But that's not what Philippians 2 shows us. Instead, we see a very active approach that he calls on us to make. Do all things as we are out in the world without complaining and arguing. My first stint at public employment went all the way back to 1977 when I worked for Arizona Chemical Corporation for a little while, the plant where my dad worked as a summer employee. We were considered temporary laborers. And boy, we did a lot of labor. But I was around those people then who worked there all the time. They were their regular employees, and I quickly learned something. And that is that that bunch of men had elevated complaining about management to an art form. I'd never experienced that. I quickly realized that according to these guys, management were basically clueless men who knew nothing about the operation of the company and couldn't keep the plant running without these working men telling them what to do. And basically every day was just a rehearsal of all the dumb stuff that management told them to do. Man, you'd never heard the kind of complaining and, and then I realized sometimes they complained about really silly stuff. I, I, I was sent out to mow grass one day, and that's the one thing I knew about because I had mowed yards for a living for a long time. And, and so when I began to push that little mower, I quickly saw then that the grass wasn't cutting right. It was just kind of gnawing the grass off, and I knew what needed to be done. The blade needed to be sharpened. So I pushed it over to the shop, uh, popped the mower up, got found me a wrench that fit it, took the blade off, put it in a vise, grabbed a file, and started sharpening. And about that time, one of those old men walked in and just had a cardiac. I, uh, he, didn't, he didn't have a heart attack. Uh, but, oh, boy, he lit me up. <clears throat> I thought he, they would be proud of my initiative. I mean, I'm fixing this mower so I can do my job and do it well. Oh, no, I was temporary laborer, and I... Uh, that was the millwright's job to sharpen that blade. And I was supposed to wait for them to call the millwright in off the plant and get him up there. And uh, I, I found out there was a whole lot of complaining going on. And I kind of argued that point a minute, even though I was just a little kid. And, and I, was, I was 18 years old. I, uh, I didn't get very far. Even my dad had to tell me, just shut up. And when they send you out to mow or whatever, just do what they tell you to do. I learned that there was some benefit to be gained from doing things without complaining and arguing. I learned how to work within that system. I got a good, good lesson on that. 
And, folk, we all need to remind ourselves of this. You know, I know we preach about this a lot. I know I talk about it a lot. Uh, but, folks, I talk about it a lot because I'm under compulsion to do so. Simon Peter told them that he wanted to stir them up by putting them in remembrance. We're not teaching you entirely new things. We're reminding you of things that you know, but we're stirring you up for it. We don't need to spend this precious time that we have living in the midst by just arguing with lost people all the time. We don't. Or complaining about how lost people live. Instead, Paul gives us a very good plan to follow in Philippians 2. He said, we hold forth the word of life. (laughs) The word of life. Folk, remember tonight, let me just remind you of this, that when you're sharing the Bible with somebody, you are sharing the word of life. The message of life. And what a message that is. So we hold forth in the word of life, and as we do, we are shining as lights in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation. Our kids sing it best, we, this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine, and that light is the word of life. We'll close out then tonight with a couple of passages. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. There it is again, stewards of the mysteries of God. Just another way of expressing the truth of the word of life. We are stewards of it. It doesn't belong to us. It has been entrusted to us. And what do we do? We pass it along. We pass it along. We preach it. We teach it. We talk about it. We share it in personal conversations. And every opportunity that we have, we pass along the truth of God, the mysteries of God. We proclaim the truth of God. And we do so faithfully. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. It is required, not requested. And when we do that, when we hold forth the word of life, we've got a great promise. Isaiah 55 and 11, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. The psalmist said it also, he that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. The fact that the psalmist was not just speaking about a crop, is evident to us because no farmer ever sows a crop with the promise of a harvest. Anything can happen. Drought can burn it up. One hailstorm can wipe it out in a matter of seconds or moments. There's never a guarantee that he's going to have a harvest when he puts the seed in the ground. No matter how hard he works, no matter how faithfully he endeavors, still there is no guarantee of a harvest. But when we go out and share the word of God, God promises us a harvest. He shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Now, God did not promise that everybody we ever witness to or share the word of God with is going to be saved. That's not what he said. And believe you me, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen for you any more than it happens for me. And every time I preach and this altar is full of people and multitudes get saved, would to God that it would happen. But it doesn't. It doesn't mean that I failed. It doesn't mean the Word of God failed. It means that it's accomplishing what God sends it to accomplish. 
If I had the time tonight, I would develop the fact that sometimes God sends His Word out in judgment. There are examples of that all over the Word of God, Old Testament and the New Testament. Sometimes God's Word goes out in judgment. Probably the most classic example of that is in the book of Ezekiel because God sent him to a people and he said, Ezekiel, they're not going to listen to you. I could send you somewhere else and they'd listen to you, but this bunch, you know, this is a hard-headed and rebellious people. But Ezekiel went and preached to him anyway. And the word of God accomplished exactly what he intended it to. Their hearts were hardened. Their rebellion then was settled. They went deeper and deeper into their rebellion against the word of God. It's a sobering thing for us to think that God sometimes sends his word out in judgment. That's why the Bible gives us such a sobering cautionary statement today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts most dangerous thing we could do is to harden our hearts to the word of God so while that is true it is also true then that you and I as his people can take great comfort in the fact that when we go forth holding out the word of life when we are sharing the word of life with people with friends with neighbors God has promised us he has promised that that word will accomplish his purposes some will be saved that's the power of the gospel for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation To everyone that believes. For some. Remember Paul said. I am become all things to all men. That I might by all means save. Some. Some. And everybody who is ever saved. Is saved by the power. Of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God. To salvation. To everyone that believes. I pray tonight that everyone here has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you've responded to it. You know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. That he was buried. That he rose again. That's what the gospel is. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried. And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. This is the gospel. And then that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Have you believed on Jesus Christ and received him as your Savior? If not, oh, you need to. You need to. If I could be saved for you tonight, I would, but I can't. It's a decision you have to make for yourself. What I can tell you is, is there's a great day coming. God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. And the difference on that day will be whether you've received Jesus Christ or not. Let's stand together, please.